0: So we pray at the start of the day and I was praying with some colleagues and we were praying for our work and then I asked did anyone else want prayer and one of my colleagues just who'd been very quiet up to that moment and clearly just a bit withdrawn just just shared about her brother who from a Christian family a Christian had gone off to university last October and had just recently announced to the family that he no longer believed and she, she was close to tears with that and uh, continued praying for her but I just wonder how did this happen how could it happen for that young man then last week well let me go back to February actually in February. I had the privilege of being at a conference where a well known Christian leader was speaking. Now, he's the founder and leader of one of the largest churches in America. Um, I'd long been an admirer of his and read several of his books, and everyone around the world looked up to this guy. His talk at the conference was profound, it was moving, it was Christ centered, it was deeply rooted in the gospel. That was February. In March, allegations of sexual harassment began to surface, flirting with women, inappropriate comments and behaviour. And in fact, these uh, complaints against him had been made several years ago, but had been flatly denied by him. And his eldership team, after what now seems to have been a pretty inadequate investigation, chose to believe their highly respected leader, and dismissed the complaints of several women. However, this time round, they were being taken more seriously, and he, he brought forward his retirement by six months in order to avoid difficulties for the church, while still denying any sinful behavior. And then last week, a bombshell dropped, As a tenth woman spoke up, this was his former PA who'd courageously stepped forward and for the first time told how how he had used his power and his charm and charisma to sexually abuse her over a number of years, leaving her feeling very confused, racked with guilt. When she eventually challenged him, uh, saying that it was sin, that it was unfair on his wife, that it was humiliating for her, Um, he just said and this is what she recorded in her journal it's not a big deal come on why can't you just get over it and you haven't told anyone have you how can that happen how can that happen how can someone who's made a confession of faith in Christ turn their back on God and say that they no longer believe? Or how can someone who's had an incredible ministry, like the man I've just mentioned, be living actually a double life and even denying secrets, hiding and denying secret sin for years until it all comes tumbling down? Or how can someone who once preached the gospel with confidence and clarity and conviction? Begin to doubt the inspiration of scripture and begin to see Christ's death merely as an example rather than as the atonement, the, the bearing of the full penalty, penalty for our sins. And while still claiming to be Christian uh, but denying the truths of historic biblical Christianity, publish books, videos, talks uh, that sow confusion and doubt. How can that happen? Or less dramatic but equally tragic. How can a man or woman who was once passionate for Jesus gradually drift until they are simply going through the motions? Come to church only when they're on a rotor. But even then find that it doesn't really move them in the way it used to. No longer open. No longer opening their Bible each morning to, to feast on God's promises, to study his commands and warnings. Maybe it's been months or longer since they last prayed and they don't feel it makes any difference when they do. They've forgotten what intimacy with God feels like and they're usually too busy or too tired to get to their midweek small group. They've become cynical about God and church and no longer care about sharing their faith with others. They've found other things to fill their lives and are close to drifting away completely how does it happen how does that happen and we know it does well our bible passage today has got the answer it provides the diagnosis and the cure and it all starts with the heart the state of a person's heart the state of my heart the state of your heart determines our destiny And our passage today is from the letter to the Hebrews. It includes a substantial quote from Psalm 95, which itself draws from several Old Testament accounts of how God's people in the wilderness after the the exodus from Egypt hardened their hearts against God himself. And the urgent warning of the passage, which we're going to read in a moment, is do not harden your hearts. So let's read it together. So Hebrews 13 verse 7, Hebrews 3, sorry, verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says, let me just pause there, we're just about to start the quote from Psalm 95, but the writer of this letter wants us to be alert to two things, firstly, what we're going to read from Psalm 95 is the Holy Spirit's words. He's affirming the inspiration of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, that it's all God breathed. It's all inspired by God, even though it's written by human authors in many different styles. But secondly, the Holy Spirit's speaking through this now to everyone who reads it and hears it. It's ongoing. The Holy Spirit is communicating with us now. What I'm sharing is God's word. I'll do my best, but it's God's word. And as the Holy Spirit speaks this morning, let's just have our hearts and ears open to hear what he has to say to us and receive it as life-giving truth for our souls. On oath, in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. Another quick pause. What that means is that the promised land that God had called them to go into, they were not going to enter, not that generation. They were going to die in the wilderness. And then that's the end of the quote from the psalm. And the writer of this letter, whose identity we don't know, um, Continues and says, "See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end." The background to this then is that even though the people of Israel saw the waters of the Red Sea divide and they walked through that sea on dry ground and they, and they saw incredible miracles from God, the moment they got thirsty, their heart hearts were hardened against God and they didn't trust him to take care of them. Instead they grumbled and complained. They cried out against God and said actually Egypt was better where we've just come from. These were people who had danced for joy when they escaped Egypt but it just didn't last very long and then when they reached the borders of the promised land a short while later and sent spies into the land 12 spies went in The majority, 10 of them, came back with a really negative report saying that it's full of giants, we'll get slaughtered, we'll be eaten alive, and their hearts just melted with fear, and they refused to go forward, even though it was what God was commanding them to do. So the phrase, they shall never enter my rest, meant that that generation died in the wilderness, and... And it took another 40 years before the promised land was taken. So Psalm 95 recalls both of those incidents from Exodus and from Numbers. Showing God's anger with persistent unbelief persistent pattern of hardening of heart uh, and disobedience and so this is what the book of Hebrews was written for to warn believing Christians against the dangers of drifting away against the dangers of missing out on our destiny all because of a heart that has grown cold and hard towards God so I've just got three questions three things I'm going to hang this on Uh, so the three questions are What is a hard heart and how do we detect it in ourselves and in others? Secondly, what makes our hearts grow cold? What's the cause of it? And thirdly, how do we fight against a hard heart in ourselves and in others? So what is a hard heart and how can I detect it in myself and in others? When the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the very hub of the human personality. It encompasses our feelings, our motives, our choices. Love, joy, peace, understanding, reasoning, desire, purity, humility, obedience, worship. All these things spring from the heart. As do grief, sorrow, Repentance, forgiveness. And also from the heart come things like pride, hatred, lust, adultery, fear, greed, anxiety, disobedience, selfish ambition, envy, bitterness, stubbornness, secrecy, and idolatry. Above all, faith and trust come from the heart. And turning away from God... Always begins in the heart. That's why in Hebrews it's not talking about specific behavior, specific sins. It's talking about the heart that goes astray from the living God. So why was God angry with this Exodus generation? In verse 10 it says their hearts are always going astray. It's a process that starts on the inside long before it's visible on the outside. Most people who fall away, as in the examples I've described, it starts before anything is discernible, even perhaps to themselves, with somewhere deep within, something's going adrift. And if it's one degree out over time, it becomes very, very far away from where it was meant to be heading. So verse 12 of the passage gives us a definition of what a hard heart is in a nutshell. See to it brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It's sinful. It's Whether it's pride or lust, sin starts in the heart. Jesus gave one example, he said whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it's the same for other sins, they begin in the heart. Secondly it's unbelieving, no longer trusting in the promises of God that he's made uh, to the people of Israel in the wilderness. As soon as their faith was tested they began to doubt that he was good. Doubting that God is good and great is the essence of an unbelieving heart and beginning then to grumble beginning to feel you know just where's God in my life why is this happening to me instead of exercising faith and trusting in his promises which never ever fail his promises never fail he keeps them all and we can trust in his goodness and his power to do what he's promised. And then thirdly, it's turning away from the living god. These seeds of uh, of sinful desire and unbelief turn us away from the living god. And it always means turning towards something else. If you're turning away from one thing, you're turning towards something else. And we are created to worship to worship the true and living god. But if we choose not to worship him, our hearts will find something else to become obsessed with, to latch on to, uh, to uh, give ourselves to. John Calvin said that the human heart is an idol factory. In other words, we're always seeking satisfaction somewhere else if it's not in the true living God. who's the source of all true satisfaction and joy and contentment. So... That's what a hardened heart is. What are the signs, though, and the symptoms in ourselves and in others? I'm going to throw this question out. I did this in mission group the other night, got some great responses. So, in pairs or threes, what are the signs of a a hardened heart? What does it look like in someone? In yourself, even. Okay, you've probably come up with dozens of things, so I'll take half a dozen. Let's start on this side. Could someone just shout something out, please? It affects how you treat other people. That's often one of the six symptoms. You become harsh, maybe, indifferent, lack of caring. Let's have something else from this side cynicism big one real big one yeah just like you just don't think it's god doesn't answer prayer yeah we've been there heard it all before yeah becoming quite cynical towards church towards god let's have one from the middle yes jealous of others yeah, envious of the, uh, not being able to be happy about their success, wanting what they've got rather than being content with what you've got. That is a sign that something's going wrong at a heart level. Let's have one from the back of this side. Yes, Kate. Yes. Yeah, indeed. Performance. So believing that God accepts you based on your performance, believing that others will accept you based on your performance, striving, judging others on how they perform. it's all outward, isn't it? It's like that's the essence of legalism, but it's something that's going wrong in your heart, because grace is not filling your heart with a sense of being of your identity of who you are in Christ. And that's enough. And performance flows out of that. Something from the the back over there. Emotionally distant towards God or towards others? Yeah. Shutting down, withdrawing. It's a sign, isn't it? And you could detect it in yourself or you might detect it in others. And I'm... I'm emphasizing that because this passage is, go- is going to take us to a place where we take responsibility not only for our own selves but for one another. So being alert to these signs and signals. One more from the back or in the... Yes. Yeah. Hypocritical. Yeah. So we had judgmental, critical... You know, like you get home on a Sunday and then you just talk about everything you didn't like about church. Yeah. And, um, well, we don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, people go home and criticize the preaching. We're not going to do that today. Uh, and then being hypocritical, so putting on a show, a facade. You know, there's, there are things about ourselves that are obvious to us and to others, but there are things about ourselves that we keep hidden and we put on a front, don't we? And actually, we need to start being open about those things. There are also some things that we're not aware of that others see, and we need to be open to hearing from them about that. Uh, that's brilliant. You've covered incredibly just about everything I had. So moving on. The Bible teaches though then that the condition of your heart will determine how your life turns out. So just one example to add to those that we've had. If you're a person who has a lot of anger buried and it's unresolved deep within, odds are that you're either going to start lashing out and getting angry with people and things or you're going to hold long-term grudges and bury it deep within and become sullen and sulky it's because of that unresolved anger in the heart that hasn't been dealt with so moving on to our second point what makes our hearts grow cold what what causes this um why don't I throw that out again quickly just ask one another what, what how does this all start Yeah, so things don't work out how you'd hoped. Disappointment, setbacks, maybe being let down by others. You know, it's always worse being let down by Christians, isn't it? Because you just don't expect it, but it happens. And with something you've prayed for, and then God just doesn't answer that prayer in the way that you had very specifically presented to him. Uh, Yeah, what else? Sorry? Stress. Absolutely. Stress and burnout. Um, you know, I gave an example of a incredibly well-known church leader who's just, his whole life has come tumbling down because of sexual sin. But there are equal numbers of church leaders who are just crumbling because of stress and burnout. And it's not just church leaders. It, it can be any one of us where... Whether willingly we've bitten off more than we can chew or life just becomes overwhelming as it does for, some, for seasons, it can cause us in our hearts to begin to, to grow hard and cold towards God. We haven't got the capacity, of, that's how it feels anyway, Ian. Yeah, too busy. Yes, so too busy is then th- that's about squeezing out time, isn't it? So instead of getting up in the morning to spend some time with God, it's getting up in the morning, rushing off to work, staying up late, finishing off, you know, those sorts of things, just being preoccupied with work. Sometimes that can't be helped, but often it's something that we've walked into willingly and we need to find a way back out of it again. Anything else that makes our hearts grow cold? Success. Success. Yeah. So we've had disappointment and failure. Success as well can make our hearts grow cold because suddenly we begin to think we've got it all. We've, we're in control. I've learned how to do this now and I can do it again and others are looking to me. And yeah, we take our eyes off the one that we're meant to be utterly dependent on. Do you know what's incredible about Jesus? Jesus. He said, I can't do anything unless the Father does it through me, in me, does it first. I'm totally dependent. That's amazing, isn't it? Like the greatest human being ever. Secret of his success was total dependence on the Father. Yeah, brilliant. Something else. What causes a hard heart? Yes. So, can you say that again? Small yes. Small choices that lack, like, this is just, just a little sin. It's not really even a sin. Everyone does it. And I'm only going to do it once. But with that lack of integrity, it begins to build. Because we become desensitized, the passage that we've read and we uh, talks about the deceitfulness of sin. It blinds us. We 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 kind of just grow immune to that. Initially, we feel a bit of guilt and shame, and if we don't deal with it in the right way, which is by bringing it to God, confessing our sins, which He is always faithful to forgive us there on the spot. There's no need to do penance, okay? But if we don't do that, if we excuse ourselves, then. We become desensitized and it just becomes more regular, more frequent, or bigger and bigger until we're trapped. Wow, guys, you're amazing. You seem to know what makes our hearts grow cold. Um, I've got down here neglecting to stay close to God in terms of daily disciplines. You know, um, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you nevertheless... You don't have to put your hands up, but how many of you have a daily time with God, reading your Bible and coming to him in prayer? How many of you are letting that slip? Oh, thank you for putting your hand up. We've got one. <laughs> which which were you putting your hand up for, the first or the second? <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> and And even if you are, has it become dry and... You know just meaningless, like going through the motions, uh so oh, my thing's gone off, there we go, right back um being let down by others, your trust in them was misplaced, you're never going to trust them again when you start stop trusting people you you actually begin to find that you stop trusting God as well um and then accepting that a hardened heart is the new normal uh it's just. How it is, you know. I wish I was as passionate as I was when I first became a Christian, but I'm not. And I, you know, I'll carry on going to church. I'll do the right things, but inside, you know, it's, you've lost something. So, another thing that uh, can trigger this is hearing God say something that you need to do and then not doing it. James says that if we, if if we Uh, listen to the word and don't do what it says we've deceived ourselves and I've got some friends who've basically summed this up in a little phrase hear and do hear and do if we hear God speak to us we do it hear and do failing to do that leads inevitably to a hardened heart because you just have to put up some sort of barrier otherwise you, you, you feel you're being got at by God all the time so uh, unbelief, not trusting in the promises of God, beginning to downgrade your expectation of what God can do in answer to prayer and what he will do for you and for others and his and His commitment to you, unhealthy ambition, uh, false teaching, imbibing teaching through the internet, podcasts, books, that begins to sow doubts about the authority authority of God's word the truthfulness of the gospel that in fact Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins there's a heck of a lot of false watered down Christian teaching out there at the moment and it sounds very plausible sometimes we have to guard ourselves against it right final question how do we Fight against a hardened heart in ourselves and in others. Well, first of all, it's God's work. It's absolutely God's work. In Ezekiel 36, God says, I will give you a new heart. I will remove the heart of stone. He's the one that renews and refreshes our hearts, He's the one that deals with the stoniness that we sometimes find ourselves in. So God's on your side. Yep, God will do this. But we also have a responsibility. So we have a responsibility for ourselves to guard our hearts. So in in Proverbs 4, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And I'm going to quickly take us through five things. Confess known sin to God. And that includes unbelief as well just get it out there tell him tell him that you're sorry turn from it receive forgiveness second take warnings seriously Uh, you know when an alarm goes off we're either meant uh, to get out of the way run for our lives or at the very least get out of bed because we've got to get to work yeah we're to take warnings seriously Um, there's been a little bit of interest in the news recently about Morecambe and Wise how many of you know who Morecambe and Wise oh good a few great there was a great little clip uh, which I absolutely love so uh, Eric Morecambe hears dee da dee da dee da dee da goes to the curtain looks out turns back to Ernie and says he's not going to sell much ice cream going at that speed is he Tom liked it. <laughs> uh, we've got to we've got to recognise the warnings. We've got we cannot allow the warnings that come through Scripture, which are which are many, the warnings that come from others who begin to say, "Are you all right? Is everything okay? Ooh, why did you do that?" We can't ignore those. We mustn't let them become background noise, or we'll perish. That's what fire alarms are for, is to stop us perishing. And we must take them absolutely seriously. Secondly, thirdly, sorry, set boundaries. Now, the man I spoke of earlier wasn't setting boundaries. There's another man, uh, e- equally famous, perhaps more famous Christian leader, Billy Graham, who set himself a personal rule never to be alone in a private place with a woman other than his wife. Now, when he came to the UK in 1984 for Mission England, um, where he was speaking at stadiums across the country, a journalist from The Sun approached one of Billy Graham's team and says, I just want you to know, your man is clean, We've tried. Believe me, we've tried. We've got nothing on him. There's no dirt that we can dig. So set personal boundaries, especially if you know your areas of weakness. Set boundaries. Be wise. Don't go up to the lines. Don't even have the line in sight. Stay well away from it. And then return to first things. Jesus said to the church in Ephesus in Revelation, you're... uh, you've lost your first love. And this is what this is all about. It's losing our first love. And he just says, return and do the things you did at first, like getting into the scripture, praying, worshipping. Find those disciplines again. Time with others that begin begin to speak the gospel truth to yourself. I listen to the news every day on the radio. We need to listen to the good news every day. It does us good. I need the gospel every day. I need to know that sin and death and the devil have been defeated by the life, the death, the resurrection, and the, and the reign of Jesus Christ. And that he's making everything new, including me. I need that every day. I need to soak myself in it. And expect as you come to God's word to hear him speak. Today, if you hear his voice, our passage in Hebrew says... Uh, do not harden your hearts expect to be challenged and convicted encouraged, built up by God's word and then be accountable and that means connecting with other Christians so be at church don't just come when you're on a rota. get to mission group if you're in a discipleship triplet get involved and then I'm going to finish with just how we can fight for one another so the Passage in Hebrews 3 says, encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The purpose of mutual encouragement is to fight against sin because it's always going to be trying to find a way in. Yeah, we have a responsibility for one another. Let's take it seriously. So I'm going to suggest a few things. Ask questions. Ask people how they're doing and give them eye contact when you ask. And if they blink, ask them again. And listen, listen well, let people don't be judgmental don't be quick to jump on them, listen to what they have to say don't don't be shocked i've had some situations where what i've been told when i've asked started asking questions has been "Whoa, but you just carry on listening let them let them talk uh, then uh lovingly challenge people and mission group on uh, Friday night when we were just talking about some of this and I said one of the things you've got to do is you've just got to have the courage to, t- to speak to people even if you think it's going to be uncomfortable and they're going to be defensive and they might get offended if you love them you'll do it not to do it is not to love them. So be prepared to, sp- to speak truth in love. And obviously to receive it as well. Share gospel truth. Point people to Jesus. Don't frown on misbehaviour as breaking the rules. But, you know, point people to Jesus. Get the heart issues right. Pray for people. Pray for wisdom, insight. What's going on in that person's life? Help me to have something that will be helpful to share with them. And be spontaneous. In other words... Don't, don't just do this with people in your mission group. With one another, as, as God gives the opportunity, let's encourage one another. But be structured as well. And the, the best bit of structure that we've got for that is our discipleship triplets. So just going to finish on uh, some, just some stuff on what to do next, really. And then we will draw to a close. So some practical things. Um, in terms of discipleship triplets. So it's a way for us in Mosaic to keep each other accountable. There's a booklet on it at the back. Um, a triplet is usually three, sometimes two, where they meet together, same sex. Yes, I know. Uh, meet together, uh once or twice a month for at least an hour to really encourage one another to be the best that they can be in God. uh, And if you're not part of one, then um, ask in your mission group, is there anyone that you could form one with? Or is there anyone that's whether it's only two people, and they'd be glad to have you join them. If you're in a, a triplet with only two, look for someone to join you. Let's get this going. If, if your mission group can't help, come back to me or anyone on the core team, Marissa and uh, Pip and Matt and, and so on, and just say, come on, I want to get into this. I don't want to be isolated. I want to be accountable and I want to serve others in the same way. And then just a few things to really finish on, to go away with. Do whatever God has spoken to you about today. Just do it. Don't ignore it. Freshen up your devotional life if it's gone stale. Fix your eyes on Jesus. If there's any known sin or unbelief, confess it. Believe that God will, will cleanse you and give you a fresh start. How about reading the book of Hebrews? It's full of warnings and promises. It, you, it's 13 chapters. You could read a chapter a day and be done in a fortnight. And you'd get a huge amount out of it. Speak to someone about what you're struggling with. Speak to someone who you think is struggling and ask them how they're doing. Follow up people that you've not seen for a while, who've drifted from church or mission group. Give them time properly. Don't just say, oh, we're missing you, but let them talk about what's going on. Get yourself into a discipleship triplet and fix your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for participating, listening, and I think responding really well. Bless you.